You're listening to the Volleyball by Design podcast. Today, we're going to talk about five key strategies you can use as a coach to create an effective game plan to give your team the best opportunity to win and win simply by just understanding how to create an effective game plan. Not necessarily the skill and fundamentals of your team, but to have an effective game plan help you win a game. And believe me, effective game plans can make up where you lack in certain skills and lead to winning games. So it's an episode you don't want to miss. Stay tuned. Hi, I'm Coach Brian Singh, and after a number of years coaching competitive volleyball and as the head coach of the biggest college in Canada, I've become obsessed with helping coaches improve their knowledge and skills of the game by teaching them how to coach efficiently and effectively to ultimately reach their volleyball goals. I created the Volleyball by Design podcast to give you simple, actionable, step-by-step strategies so you can get clarity and apply what you learn right away. This is the Volleyball by Design podcast. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to episode 125 of the Volleyball by Design podcast. How is everyone doing out there today? Another week in the volleyball world. Uh, What's going on, everyone? If you are new to the podcast, my name is Coach Brian Singh, and I'm the host of the podcast. And if you are a regular listener, as always, you know how much I appreciate you tuning in to the Volleyball by Design podcast, where... Every week, the goal is to deliver something of value, something where you can take back to your gym and apply right away, and I do believe that today we have that episode for you, Uh, but before we get into this episode, um, I just want to read some reviews. I haven't checked my reviews in some time, and uh, there are a couple good ones on there that I'd love to share, and listen, for all of you out there that are listening that have been lifelong, or not lifelong, but long listeners, and you haven't dropped a review on the podcast, please do. Uh, honestly, it, it it's great for me to get the feedback, and it's also it also helps you know build the popularity of the show and helps me rank a little bit higher in the in the search and things like that. So, yeah, I'd appreciate any type of review, um, and if you think it's five stars, that's even better. So. The first review is um, says excellent work five stars great job coach I appreciate the content and effort to make topics as clear and concise as possible I've been around volleyball for 33 years but only coached five years great to hear I'm thinking the right way and after listening to the pod I know where I need to improve thanks to Brian Hardy uh, well I appreciate that Brian thank you so much um, you know what it, it makes honestly getting that feedback it just reassures that I'm doing the right thing. They all, I'm not just wasting my time doing pods. As much as I enjoy doing it, I just I appreciate the feedback. The second one I have is, it says, the only reason I know what I'm doing, five stars. I've been listening to the podcast for about a year now, off and on, and I have just about listened to every episode now, not exactly in order, but I've been able to take a ton of value away from these episodes. I didn't play volleyball in high school, but after taking a huge interest in the sport in college, I started the club team at our college because I felt like there needed to be a place for guys to play competitively. The problem was that I didn't really know what I was doing because I never formally been taught how to play. This podcast has given me the ability to learn the game at a high level and actually teach my players and coach them well. Oftentimes, I end up teaching things that I don't even fully understand, but because I've listened to this podcast and have learned the concepts, it works for my players, even if I'm not sure why something works. I'm super grateful for this resource, and I plan to keep listening for a long time. And this was by Mad uh, Mad Moba Player. Well, Mad Moba Player, I think, I hope I said that right. Listen, I appreciate that really in-depth review, and thank you so much for giving me the feedback. And uh, listen, you know, this stuff puts a smile on my face because, you know, many of you guys know I don't... I don't get paid to, to do the podcast. I'm not sponsored by any big time names. This is me, 
you know, giving up some free time once a week where I get a chance to jump on and just share my passion, share what I know about the game so I can help coaches. That's my passion. My passion. That's why I created Digital Volleyball Academy, which is my academy where I get to mentor coaches. I did it because I want to help grow this game. I want to help make coaches better because I know that for every coach that I help, that in turn results in maybe 12 more players loving the game, maybe 14 players, maybe more teams and more people playing this game and growing it because it's not nearly where it needs to be, especially in North America. North America, it's it's not... um. You know, football dominates North America, hockey, basketball, but volleyball is such a great sport. We got to keep doing our part. So anyways, thank you so much for those uh, those reviews. And if you haven't got a chance to review the pod, please do. I, I appreciate all the reviews and it really, it really just helps me, uh, puts a smile on my face and it, it helps me know that I'm in the right direction. And if there's something I can improve on, it helps me in that way as well. Okay, so let's get started on today's episode. Where we're going to talk about effective game planning. And the reason this sparked, you know, this this episode was because I, uh, I, you know, I've been actually, ironically, I'm recording this on Sunday afternoon, and I have our we have our first uh, we have our season opener uh, tonight, which is exciting. I'm really excited about it. So I was, you know, game planning for tonight, and I've been having a conversation over the last couple of weeks a lot with coaches on how to effectively game plan and what do I look for and you know things like that. So I'm going to give you five simple strategies that you can use and. I want to preface by saying this is more high level stuff because if you're 12U, 13U, there isn't much game planning that you're going to be doing because you're you're focused on developing your team, and that's what you that's where you have to you know put all your effort. So if you are a younger coach, that doesn't mean you should know this because this is going to be important to know as you you know continue in your coaching journey and you are going to coach a high level team. Um, but it's just, I just want to preface by saying we're going to talk a little bit of a high level stuff here, but it's all good. It's still relevant to any volleyball coach wanting to coach at, you know, at a higher level. So the first thing that I would say is you got to, it, it is, it's the best when you have film on a team. Now, if you don't have film on a team, you can still do this. But if you have film on your opponent, that provides you with such a great asset to have because you could game plan and understand so many things according to that film. Now, if you are a club coach or high school coach and there's no database where teams upload their film, that's okay. What you can do is you normally see teams multiple times, especially in league play. You'll see a team in like, you know, the regular season and then in playoffs and championships, you're going to see them again. So the best advice I can give you is make sure you film all your games because if you're going to see a team again, you can properly uh, really game plan for that team. So the first thing is you're going to do is you're going to look at film. Okay, film is the first step. And the one of the very first things I look at is I look at setter tendencies. Setter tendencies. So I have a, a piece of paper, okay, and I'll just write, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six. Write, no, write down the, in, in, a, in, in a row. One, two, three, four, five, six. And that just means rotation one when the setter is in rotation one, when the setter is in two, and the setter is in three, when the setter is in four. And as you're watching film and as the game goes along, all you're doing is you're making a note of in rotation one, when the team is in system, where does that setter like to set the ball? And you and, and that's it. So when the when you know you watch the film, ball goes up, good pass, setter 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 set it to 15. Great, great. So you write 15. Then if they score, they don't score. As soon if the setter is in rotation one again, where did he set? He set to 15. Oh, we write another 15. So at the end of the game. You're going to have all, this, all the people that the setter is set to in each rotation. 
And the key here is to look for tendencies. And you're going to find quite often that there is at least one rotation where the setter always like to set their one person. And that's interesting, huh? They always like to set their one person. And normally it's the player that they think is going to score, the player that they feel comfortable setting out of that one rotation. And the wonderful thing about that is that's an advantage. Because if you can figure out one or two, and again, at the younger age group, it's even more, it's, it's, it's like, it's so obvious what the setter tendency is. Now, as a defensive team, we can set, we can establish our block or at least let our blockers know that when the setter is in rotation one, they love going to number 15 and maybe number 15 is in right side. So our middle now, guess what our middle can do? Our middle can start their IDP, their initial defensive position, a little bit closer to that area. <coughs> Excuse me. That doesn't mean that they go all the way there right away. They don't have to, but they can start a little more over to give them just that little more advantage to put up a double block. Now, in system, when a team is in system, their job is to create the one-on-one, which we all know, the one-on-one. Now, by knowing a setter tendency and knowing where they like to go in a certain rotation, that can help minimize the one-on-one because you could be there on time. Now, you may say, well, what if they decide to go another way? And sure, they can go another way, and then they'll, they'll have the one-on-one anyways because we'll still have a, a blocker there. Like, let's, say, let's say, for example, the middle is cheating a little bit to the right side and they end up setting left side. Well, that's okay. There's, they, they would have been a one-on-one anyways. So at least we give ourselves an advantage and we're playing the numbers. Like, you know, volleyball is a numbers game. You're playing the high percentage shot. Well, according to our, our, our game plan, the higher percentage shot would have been the right side in that example. So we played to the high percentage shot. That's, that's called being tactical. And when you're tactical, you give yourself a competitive advantage, okay? Some other things to look at too when you're looking at film is does the setter have any tells? You know, like for example, the most common one is when setters arch their back. When setters arch their back, where they're going? Well, they're going to probably go behind them. So as a blocker, especially as a middle blocker, middle blockers can see that they arch their back and then release right away because they know the setter is going to set to the right side because they're arching their back. So that's a cue that we can read as setters, or as middles. So by the way, middle blocking, one thing coaches that you might be aware of is middle blockers, when they're looking at film, okay, a lot of, and I think this is, this goes, this this is not really taught very often, because when we teach middle blockers to look at film, we're teaching them to look at hitting tendencies only. But middle blockers should also be looking at setting tendencies. They should learn how the setter moves, learn how the setter makes decisions, learn some some of the setter tells, because some setters have tells, you know? For example, do they like to go against the flow of the offense? Is that something they like to do? Meaning, if the ball is passed over to area four, do they like to pop it back to area two to set the ball, you know, that right side ball? Do they not like to do that, you know? Understanding the, the opposing setter as a middle blocker is really important because that helps give you a competitive advantage as well, okay? So have your middles really look at the setter, understand the setter, because the setter is the most important player when it comes to defending. It, they truly are. They'll tell you where, where they're going to go, and then that way, if you can pick up on certain cues, you're already a step ahead of the game, okay? Let's talk about some hitting tendencies. That's the second thing you're going to look at. So first one was looking at tendencies for the setter, all right? Setter tendencies, any tells that the setter has, giving yourself that competitive advantage for one or two rotations. Hitting tendencies now. So what you want to do 
is you don't want to overload your team with all these, you know, every every player's hitting tendencies. I pick my top three. Now, at a, for our college team, we'll do four. But if I was to do high school, I'd do my top three. Um, and if you're feeling that your team is okay, you can do four. So what are the, you take the four best players and you put their names, you know, on the top or the number, and then you chart where they like to hit. And you're going to see that hitters have tendencies. You know, like we when we were charting, uh, we charted a, a game, Couple, couple, couple of games ago, and you know we looked at how many attempts. So you know one one hitter had thirty hitting attempts, and out of the thirty hitting attempts he had, one hitting attempt was line, just one. So if I'm setting up my block now, and this player only tried to swing line once, I'm gonna give him line all day until he shows me in that game that he can actually hit it. So I will set up my, my pin blocker, the blocker closest to the antenna, I'll have them set up a little more inside. So just inside the hitter's right shoulder, not directly in front of the hitter's right shoulder, just inside, because now I'm going to take away the cross-court shot. I'm going to take away their best, his, his or her best opportunity to score. And that's something that as, as coaches now, this is effective game planning. And I know a lot of younger teams, I talk to a lot of coaches where they say they give line. And the reason they give line is giving line means allowing the space between the, the right hand of the blocker and the antenna. The reason they're giving line is because no one in the league can hit that shot. Well, that's game planning. That's effective strategical game planning because if you can't hit that shot or if they can't hit that shot, then there's no reason for us to set a block up there. So hitting tendencies is fantastic. Also, understanding does the hitter like to tip, when they like to tip, you know, we, we played against a team a while back where we realized that when the middle doesn't get a perfect ball, he's tipping. Wow, that's fantastic news. The minute the setter goes off the net, we know that a tip is coming out of the middle. So my libero can start, a, can move, as soon as the set goes off the net, my libero can start moving into the court a little bit more because he knows that if the middle gets set, he's right there for the tip. And then if they go to a pin hitter, then my libero can move accordingly. But just that subtle extra one or two steps is an advantage because when they do hit the middle, my libero is right there. See, so understanding hitting tendencies and understanding these, and these are things that you can watch over during film. You see, wait, setter run off the net, middle only tip. That only happens on the setter run off the net. Well, that is a, that is a, that's pretty good, that's a pretty good advantage that you have there, but that, that can generate a couple of points for you. And anytime you can get an advantage based on tendencies of another team and things that you notice, Hey, that is that is a win in my book. And this is how coaches, this is how we make our money or don't if you're getting if you're doing this for free, which I was for many years. But this is where we come in handy is when when we can notice these things and we can set up our offense and defense accordingly. Okay? So, that's hitting tendency. So again, if a guy if a guy really likes like we played against a team too where one player loved to hit line he he was he forced his line shot, and we actually noticed that he didn't have the mechanics to swing a good, a good cross court shot. Meaning, like there was no there was no rotation in his torso very much. And when a hitter doesn't really rotate, that means that they're not going to hit a cross court shot. That means they're going straight line. It's like, kind of like the elephant swing. And there are hitters like that that you I see all the time. So if a hitter if a hitter has an elephant swing or they're not like, rotating, like you know there's no internal rotation, then guess what? They're probably not going to hit cross, so we can really load up on the pin and make sure we're taking that line all the way. So, you know, understanding things like that is important. So knowing your opponent, knowing the tendencies there. The third strategy 
is I, I t- I've talked about this a lot of time on the pod too, is the serving tendencies. That's really simple. You know, track where they like to serve. You know, they like to they like the one-to-one serve or the five-to-one serve or they spin or they float. See that because when that player is going up to the serving line, well, guess what? We can now shift our are passing a little over depending on where they like to serve. So for example, if the server likes to serve in one and they like to serve two location one, so they like to serve cross court of one, well, we can shift our passing over to the right side and maybe I can have my best passer take more of that area so that we can be better prepared to pass the ball. See, that's an advantage. That's because, see, the, the, the difference is not knowing this information, well, we will have three passers getting ready for the serve. They're not, they have no idea where the serve is going to go. And then after contact is made, then it's a read, then it's a react, then it's a go. Which, again, is, is okay. But w- wouldn't it be more tactical if we knew where the serve would like to go so we can shift our passing a little over? Ha- maybe then have our best passer take majority of the seam? You know, that's where we start thinking tactically to put ourselves in a best position to pass and be in system. All right? So that's serving tennis and understanding how that works and, and what it means. Okay? Then, you know, the fourth strategy is I want to understand where where are the majority of the points coming from, okay? Now, really, really good teams will have a, that, that spread their offense, you know, and distribute the offense quite evenly. This These are the toughest teams to defend because now we have to be in a read situation completely and then we're just basically looking at hitting tendencies. There's no real tendency where the setter likes to go and things like that. So those are the t- those are the tough teams to defend against. But not many teams are like that. You know, the best of the best are like that. How about certain teams that like to go a certain way? So, you know, you're going to have this in your league a lot too, where middles are very hard to come by. You know, good middles are hard to come by. It's a hard position. So we'll have a situation where a lot of times teams will be, you know, wing heavy or pin heavy. They like to hit the outside hitters, bright side hitters, etc. So one strategy that you could choose to do is run a trap. Now, what this is, is this can be ran when the setter's front row. Okay, when the setter's front row, um, you have a middle and you have an outside hitter. Now, if a team doesn't have a C-ball option, meaning a backcourt right side option, this is when a trap becomes really effective. So what you do is you have the, the left side player who's blocking the left side blocker is going to come over and end up blocking the middle so they're not going to be closer to the right side of the court anymore they're going to come all the way over and still they're going to be in between the setter and the middle okay not directly in front of the setter they're going to be just to the right of the setter but you know closer to the middle and the left side player now is going to be responsible for blocking the middle the middle blocker is going to come a little more over and that way have a little bit of an extra jump to block the left side. And then the right side player who blocks the left side is going to be there anyways. So our, our blocking line shifts over slightly. And then since the setter's front row, we have to worry about dumps. So we would have the libero be responsible for taking all the dumps and coming a little bit more in because there's no C-ball attack. So the libero can start a little more in the court. This is also helpful if the setter doesn't really dump very often. If you've watched and tracked film and seen how many times a setter dumps in a two-set match or three-set match, and it's like once, then this is a great strategy because let's not play the one time the setter dumped. Let's play the more the higher percentage shots, which are the ones that are going to the left side and middle more often. So, you know, our left side blocker comes over to help with the middle. Our middle blocker comes over to help the left side. And then our right side blocker is already there 
waiting for it. And that's called a trap. So no matter what, even when the team is in system, you will have two blockers always there ready to go. And if you're really good, you could have three blockers there ready to go. And again, I want to, I prefaced earlier by saying this is high level stuff. I don't recommend you having three blockers at 15U, 14U and things like that because your left sides are going to have a really hard time getting outside the court when they come down from that block. There's a lot of distance to travel. So don't do that. This is more high level stuff where you have the ability. Now, if you're going to run a trap at the younger age group, just have to go two blockers. That's it. Just two blockers. So the left side still has enough time to come out and they're going to just peel back and play the tip. Okay, so we really want to do that. We want to be strategic and we want to make sure we have three blockers over there or two blockers over there and make that defense have a tough, tough time. Okay, a really, really tough time. So that way we shut down their best offensive options. And now they have to figure out other ways to beat us that they're un that they're not as comfortable. They're not they're not as effective. So you see how a really simple thing like that, now when the setter's back row, you probably can't do this because you can't run a trap when the setter's back row a lot, unless, unless they don't have a right side swing that's very good, and then you can still release if the higher percentage says, even when there's a front court right side, they still go left side, left side, left side, then you can kind of cheat a little bit with the middle. But again, this is more of a opportunity to, you know, you got that's a read situation. So setter front row, and they go left side a lot, this is a simple strategy. Now, this is one strategy. I, I, I'd I, be here for over an hour talking about all the different types of situations that you could come across, but this is just a simple example of how I want you to start thinking. Start thinking, well, they're going a lot to this location. How can I set up my block to maximize my potential of blocking the ball or slowing the ball down or just being having the presence there to alter their go-to shot? Okay, that's what you got to start thinking about. Okay, so that's strategy number four, is creating a blocking scheme for the other team because you're going to shut down their higher percentage balls that go to wherever they go. All right, the fifth thing, actually, I'm probably going to go with six strategies. I said five, but we'll go six, six. The fifth thing, the fifth thing is, let's talk about offense, okay? So far, everything I've talked about is how we defend the other team, which by the way, the reason I spend a long time talking about how we defend the other team is because the, these are the type of things that you have 100% control over. It has nothing to do with skill. Did you realize that this is all tactical things like where we're positioning ourselves, how we're moving according to what our game plan says. I didn't say this has anything to do with our ability to swing, our ability to block, our ability to pass and do these things. No, no. This is just tactical, strategic moves that we can use to put ourselves in a better position to win. Now, offensively, this is where skill-based stuff comes in. Because if we're, if we're going to attack them offensively and attack areas or attack weaknesses, we have to have the ability to attack those weaknesses. So for example, if you know that there is a particular player or a set of players that have a weak block, that may be the area of the court you want to attack. So if you notice that the setter is an undersized setter and doesn't have a very good block, well, when the setter's front row, we may very well want to run the left side attack more than anything. So tactically, how can we do this effectively? Well, we can run the middle behind the setter. So when the ball goes in system, the middle goes behind the setter, therefore baiting the middle blocker to come over because if the middle attacker is going behind the setter, the middle blocker may respect that and come over to protect that quick attack, which leaves the left side open for a one-on-one. -on -one. And it'll be a one-on-one -on -one against the setter, which 
we should be able to score every single time the ball gets set if it's a good set providing, you know, things like that. So that's kind of the way we want to think about it offensively, weak blockers. One other thing to notice too is when I look at film, I want to see, you know, how well does the team defend? Do Are they are they defensively sound? Are they in the right positions? Do they know how to read efficiently? Like, are they good at that? If they are, okay, great. If they're not, well, how can I take advantage of that? So one common thing, and I see this a lot in the younger age group is, you know, they have a hard time defending the tip into position one or short one because normally the libero plays out of five. So libero does a good job of defending those tips, but the tip coming out of the left side attack right over our, you know, right side and middle blocker, that's where teams tend to score. And I look and see how well do they defend that tip? And if they don't defend it well, that's an option for our opportunity to score. How well do they defend the pot? Do we, if we tip into the pot, are they on it? Are they good that way? That's something else to take into consideration. How well do they defend the deep tips, like tipping deep? You know, little things like that. I mean, I know we want to swing. Don't get me wrong. We always want to swing. Uh, but sometimes it's great to have, remember, you don't need to swing to score. Regardless of whether you bounce the ball, you hit it off and t- blocker's hands and out, you tip over and score, a point is a point. It's how can we, you know, position ourselves and our team to maximize our offense. And if we understand and we we know that they don't really you know play defense well or they don't really cover tips as well as they'd like to, then that's an option that I think I'm willing to let my attackers know. So if there's a sealed block, they can tip right over the block and it'll be a tough, tough time to defend that. Okay, uh, so that's kind of how you think about offensively. You talk about weak blockers and then are there any defensive liabilities back row? Do they play certain shots more poorly and things like that? Okay, and the last thing I want to talk about is the 2020 rule. Okay, this is more strategy six. The 2020 rule. This is basically when, when the score is when the scores are in the 20s, like 20, 2020, 2019, 2021, like any time in those close games, and when you're in above the 20 mark, setters tend to go to their go-to's. They want to give the ball. They want the ball to be in the hand of the player that is going to put it away and score. So now, as a defense. When you see that the score is 20-20 or it's getting close to that end of the game match, we got to start thinking about, okay, well, I know that the left side is their best score. And we're in a situation where they're probably going to go to there. This is where we use, this is tactical. We're, we're, we're saying, hey, they're probably going to go to their best score, which is the left side in this case, if, if the left side is the best score in this example. Well, my middle now may be able to start his or her IDP a little more over to the left side. Don't go completely over there because we don't want to give it away, but at least just start a little closer. So when the setter releases, we have a, we have way more time and less distance to get to that left side hitter, and we can put up a good double block as opposed to having a one-on-one situation. Because like I said, when a team is in system, they should have a one-on-one situation. So that, just understanding that 20-20 rule may help get good, because remember, our game is very momentum-driven. Okay, one big block or one block can do a, a lot of damage, especially when the game is close. It can all of a sudden start making the other team question their ability to do certain things. They may decide to switch it up to do something else that they're not, again, not normally used to doing or it's not their best option. And that's great. If we're taking the ball out of their best attacker and to another player, I'll, that's something I'm willing, to, I'm willing to live with. So that's where we, we got to be tactical about understanding who their go-to guys are or girls are in the last, you know, little bit of the game and making a read on that and acting accordingly and setting our IDP up to be there ready to go for that. Okay. So that's kind of how you want to think about it. So there's, and mind you, there are a lot of different strategies for effective game planning. I named six today. 
But now with these six, you can add on to these because now this is like, the, I, I want to say this is the foundation. This is a good foundational piece for you because now as you go on and you start looking and seeing other areas of other teams, you start picking up on other things that just adds to your game plan. Okay. Now don't make it now, if you have the younger age group, don't make it so complicated. You know, sometimes if I'm coaching a, like a high school, I coach a high school girls team every year. And many of you know that I, I may just keep it simple. Like, okay. Serving tendencies, just really, really simple serving tendencies. And then maybe certain shots the hitters like to do. So one or two hitters, what that, that they're the ones that are going to be predominantly scoring for the other team. What do they like to do? And we can set up our defense accordingly. You know, like an example was for my girls team, we noticed that one of the best teams in our league, the left side attacker loved to roll line, deep line, cross court. Like those are the shots she loves. That's kind of like a beach player. She loves to beach us. So we just ran a rotational defense on her and we took away all her hitting options and we were able to win. Like we won three sets to none. And I believe a big part of that was taking away their best attackers options so that they now have to all of a sudden, wait a minute, it's not working anymore. I got to switch it up. And when they switch it up, they don't, they do things that they're not used to. And then it becomes easier balls to, you know, get over the ball and you know, things like that. Okay. So let's just do a little uh, quick recap here. Five key strategies, effective game planning. We talked about film. So looking at tendencies. Okay. So film is where we start looking at tendencies, you know, uh, setter tendencies. Do they have certain tells when they arch their back? Do they, oh, and by the way, um, I, I teach a lot of this inside DVA. I go a lot more deeper and I actually show you my scattering reports and I show you how I chart all this stuff out and how we do film. So if you're interested in accessing that training, just go to digitalvolleyballacademy.com. Um, doors are currently closed. Well, depending on when you're listening to this. So just hit that hit that um, uh, wait list area, like fill your information in the wait list area and I'll reach out to you and we'll, we'll talk. Okay. But um again, digital volleyball Academy is where I, I go into more detail and do a lot, a lot of live trainings. Again, my, I love coaching coaches. This is what I do. It's make this light brightens up my day. So, uh, you get, you get access to all the live trainings I've done in addition to so many other things. Uh, but just to preface by well, we dived more deeper into this. If so, just go to digital and, uh, the link is in the show notes as well. So first thing is looking at tendencies, hitting tendencies, um, do they, you know, sometimes, like I mentioned, they never like to swing line. So well, we, we can establish our block a little more inside since they never hit the line shot. That's, that's playing defense according to their hitting tendencies, serving tendencies, knowing where they serve is, is both tactical, tactically there, as well as more, you know, being in a good mindset to pass the ball. Cause you know, passing is a lot about mindset. So understanding where their tendencies are helps you be more prepared. And we can also shift our passing over where do majority of the points come from? And I talked about like in, in an example where setter's front row is very left side heavy, we could run a simple trap by bringing our left side blocker over, middle over, and right side stays put. So we could put up a double block on the left side and have the left side blocker block the middle, you know, things like that. And then offensively, do they have weak blockers? Do they have an undersized setter that we could have a mismatch against? Do they play tips very well? Are they weaker in certain areas when they defend? Know that that can help you and your offensive team create options to score. And then the 2020 rule, you know, when the games are on the line, when the game is close, when it's at that 2020 mark, 2021, you know, things like that, your setter is probably going to be hitting their guys or girls that they know are going to score or that, or that is the best chance for that team to score. And if we know that we can use that to our advantage and get over on the block a little bit earlier than later. And that is significant for us to be able to do. Okay. So that's it for me. 
Hope you got some value out of today's episode. And hey, reach out to me on, on Instagram. Let me know how you feel about it, okay? It's Brian Singh underscore Coach B. It's uh, the link in the show notes as well. Reach out on the grams. Let me know how you're feeling about the podcast. We're 125 episodes in. That's what I love to do. Um, I love to work with coaches. And uh, and if you are a DVA member, as I mentioned earlier, you have an entire live training on this where I actually show you and walk you through. And I actually walk you through a film session that I did with my team where we talked about tendencies and things like that. And I show you how I break it down. So it's all there for you inside Digital Volleyball Academy. All right, that's it for me. I will see you guys next week on another episode of the Volleyball by Design podcast. Take care. All right, cue the music. Look. Are you at the stage you want to be in your volleyball journey? How would it feel to get clarity on your training? And instead of taking months to get better, you could improve in weeks, if not days. When I was a young coach and player, I felt this way all the time. The truth is, after I got some great advice on how to be efficient, my learning curve grew exponentially. Let me show you how to be more efficient and effective in this game. I invite you to check out CoachBTraining.com for more resources that you can use to take your game to the next level. I look forward to helping you reach your volleyball goals.